Nick Austin, and on this edition of the podcast, we get into what some people are referring to as hot labor summer. Because if you feel like unions and the labor movement is experiencing a moment right now, you are not alone and the facts support you. In fact, there's been a lot of success this summer and public support for unions, for labor, is at an all-time high. So what's behind it and what does that mean for us moving forward? For Benjamin Sachs, professor of labor and industry at Harvard Law School, he says it may be the start of a virtuous cycle of union wins. But what exactly does that mean? We sat down with Ben to find out. Professor Sachs, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here because uh, one of the reasons we had to have you in here was just because of the way you describe the labor movement successes this year. You say it might be the start of a virtuous cycle of union wins. So before we get into what that might look like, let's unpack what are the successes that you're talking about that might lead to this cycle? Well, I, th- I think it's important to start just by acknowledging that uh, this morning, uh, Kaiser Permanente health workers began a three-day strike. Um, they failed to reach a contract deal, and, and it looks like more than 75,000 additional workers are now on strike uh, in, in, in this in the healthcare sector. They join, of course, the UAW workers who are on strike, uh, the screen actors who are on strike. Uh, we have the uh, UPS, the drivers who narrowly uh, averted a strike with a contract win. Um, the culinary workers in Las Vegas have authorized a strike, um, and, and the list goes on. So we're really seeing a remarkable uh, moment in, in U.S. labor history um, where workers are, to me, taking inspiring actions to stand up and, and fight for a better life. Um, the, the wins um, are are coming in, too. Uh, you know, the UPS contract um really pretty remarkable contract with uh, not only significant wage gains, but uh, safety and health gains, including air conditioning in the in the in the vehicles. Um, the writer's contract uh, looks to me to be groundbreaking. Um, one of the one of the major points in the writer's strike was uh, how artificial intelligence was going to in- impact uh, life and work for for those workers. Um, that's that's an issue that I think affects really all of us. Uh, and and what the writers did was um, uh, was amazing and and really constitutes the first, probably the first direct uh, contract negotiations about the impact of artificial intelligence. And and I consider it a win for for the writers and for for workers uh, more broadly. You know, that's an interesting perspective there. You know, the writers we would classify in a, maybe a certain type or uh, caliber of work, different using different types of muscles per se than the folks who are driving around their blue collar versus white collar work. Still, we're seeing unionizing happening at a high level, no matter what type of industry, what type of skill set you have. And even with all of these, we're seeing a lot of successes. So what's behind these successes? I mean, is it the tight labor market that is leading to the climate where labor can have more success now? Is it public sentiment? What are you seeing that's causing for this foundation for us to have or for unions to have more success in this field? Yeah, I mean, I think history... (laughs) Remains to be written here, sure. uh, um, but but as we're living through it, I see a number of factors, um, a number of explanation as to why we're seeing this increase in organizing and strike activity. Um, the most obvious explanation is is probably the tight labor market, um, which gives workers uh, increased power, 
to to demand uh, a better set of working conditions. Um, that's certainly the case in the healthcare sector, uh, where staffing shortages are a huge part of the story, um, a huge part of the reason why all of us should care about the healthcare strikes. Uh, we should all we should all want adequate staffing when we get sick. Um, and that's giving giving the healthcare workers increased power and, and workers uh, more broadly the 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 confidence to to go on strike, which may be lacking uh, in a in a in a worse labor market. Um, there's also the experience of the pandemic, uh, I think, where many workers, whether they were you know quote unquote essential or not, um, sacrificed a lot. Uh, to keep the economy running, to keep their businesses running, they they risked a lot and sacrificed a lot. Um, that's true with the um, uh, certainly with the UPS strike, um, certainly with the healthcare strike, certainly with the hospitality strikes, um, and uh, you know workers are are saying you know we we sacrificed and they're looking at their companies earning record profits and and demanding a fair a fair share. Um, a third aspect or a third explanation, I think, is, is what I alluded to earlier, which is the impact of this new technological moment that we're living through, um, you know, symbolized most particularly by generative AI. Um, people are worried that, that this technology is going to unsettle and, and transform work in unpredictable ways. And I think what a lot of these strikes are, uh, the message of a lot of these strikes is we want this technological change to happen with us, not to us. Yeah. Um, my colleague, Sharon Block, uh, often uses that line, and I think it's totally right, that workers de deserve a right to have technological change happen with them, that they, that they uh, have a right to be involved in how the technological change is going to impact work. And when they don't get that, um, you know, we're seeing the strike activity. And then there's a, a final, even sort of more general factor, which I think is highly relevant, which is popular support for unions and for and for for strikes is higher than it's ever been, um, and that matters. So it you know it matters that the president, your your last uh, um, guest said that Biden was the most pro labor president in history. Uh, that's probably right, and I think that matters. We have a, a, a National Labor Relations Board that's willing to uh, enforce the law uh, more strongly than past administrations have. I think that matters. And I think the popular support that, that you know, the country is on the strikers' side, uh, that really matters. Yeah. You know, I think, first of all, that is a great line. So I do appreciate that. I'm going to have to use that one as we're speaking with Benjamin Sachs, professor of labor and industry at Harvard Law School and also the co-founder of the On Labor blog. We want to speak with you as well. 313-577-1019 to get into the conversation. But uh, Ben, two of the points that you made there, I want to unpack a little bit more. Let's start first with the tight labor market. Do you have insight into what's behind why this labor market is so tight? Um, well, I'm not being a labor economist, I'm probably not the ideal person Fair. to talk about, about um, the, the causes of the tight labor market. But what I can say is that um, when, you know, when workers know that they can um, uh, seek employment elsewhere and successfully find another job, um, they're more likely to stay and fight um, rather than stay quiet. 
Uh, and so the, 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 the tight labor market, you know, makes, gives workers more of a chance to exercise their voice in the jobs that they do have. Uh, and I think that that helps explain some of the, the risks that workers are taking um, and the, the, the strength that they're showing in these strikes. The other thing, another thing, not just the only other thing, but another thing you mentioned was popular support, which, again, is unique right now. I mean, I still think, you know, you'll hear about stories, for example, uh, a little apples to oranges, but President Reagan, what he did to bust the strike of uh, in, in terms of airlines and in terms of the um, air traffic controllers, which I think was used, attempted to be used as an applause line at the GOP presidential uh, debate, nomination debate. But the idea that that would be an applause line before versus now that a lot of folks seem to be having a lot more support for uh, unions, can you give us an idea of what the popular support looks like? You mentioned that it was record high. And do you know what's behind this rising support for labor and unions that we haven't seen so much before in our country? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, um, so the, the, the polling data uh, that we have suggests that popular support, that is how many people support unions in the country, is the highest level that it's ever been. Uh, since we've been doing these polls, um, the, the you know the support for particular strikes. If you look at the UAW strike, uh, is is really sort of remarkably high. Um, what explains that? I think some of the same things that explain the workers' uh, willingness to go on strike. Uh, you know, we lived all lived through a pandemic. We saw the sacrifices that uh, working people were asked to make and made to keep our economy running, to keep us safe, to keep us fed. Um, and now we're, we're living through a moment where those companies are making record profits. The CEOs of the companies are making record income. Workers are demanding a fair share. And I think the public is saying, yeah, that's that's right. That's That makes sense to us, that's fair. And uh, the, the other point is, another point is, um, we're all facing this technological change, this unsettling sense that technology is going to shake up our work lives. And uh, you know, whether you're a writer in Hollywood or an auto worker in Detroit, the 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 concern about technology is there for you. Uh, and I think that gives us a sense of of common purpose um and and a joint purpose with the with the strikers. We're speaking with Benjamin Sachs, a professor of labor and industry at Harvard Law School. We want to speak with you as well. Are you in a union or looking to join one? Have you seen your work conditions improve recently? Uh, what do the latest wave of strikes with the UAW and Hollywood workers, have you seen any impact on your conditions as a result of those? And are you someone who maybe didn't previously think so highly of unions, but thinks more highly of them now? What changed? Or are you somebody who uh, has gone the other way? Are you someone who thinks uh, this is much ado about nothing and maybe there's too much support for unions? We'd like to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019. We can work you into the conversation as I'm going to do with Bernadette right now in Old Redford. Bernadette, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Good morning. I, uh, there's only been one blurb about CEO pay in this morning's conversation. It has been enormous. And if we truly are a global manufacturing uh, community, CEO pay in other countries 
<laughs> is minuscule in comparison to what the CEOs make here. In addition, when they lose, they get these golden parachutes, so they always come out ahead. Yeah, man. Excellent points, Bernadette. I present the questions to you. Ben, what response do you have to Bernadette? Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent point, and um, uh, I certainly haven't meant to ignore the the relevance of that uh, that uh, part of what's been going on. Um, you know, the 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 big three, as as all your listeners know, um, one of their arguments has been uh, that they can't afford to pay what the union uh, is asking for because they need uh, all the the resources to um, invest in the transition to electric vehicles. Uh, they absolutely need to invest in the transition to electric vehicles. We all are depending on electrification to save the planet. Um, but to say that they can't afford the wage uh, demands when the CEO pay has skyrocketed uh, is is hypocritical. Um, and uh, Bernadette's absolutely right that that the United States is an outlier when it comes to the vast disparity between what CEOs make and what uh, what workers make. Some there's some interesting thinking going on about whether uh, you could tax uh, CEO pay that's uh, uh, out so far out of step with what the workers, uh, what the employees at a, at the company make. Um, I'm, I'm interested to keep uh, keep an eye on those experiments. You know, I am also because I have been super interested in having a tax policy day on Detroit today. Producer Sam Corey says it'd be boring. I think we can make it hot, Sam. So we might have to do that, and we will have to get to some callers a little bit later when we return here, as this is Detroit Today. I'm speaking with Ben Sachs, professor of labor and industry at Harvard Law School. I want to speak with you as well. What are your thoughts on unions? Have they rose? Have they gone down? Why? What's behind this hot labor summer moving into the fall? And we return on Detroit Today. CEO pay is something that comes up a lot, right? Even if we reduced it down to some reasonable level, that wouldn't take care of all of the labor concerns and wages increases that they that labor is seeking, specifically in the UAW circumstance. However, as we mentioned, hyper-hypocritical to say, you don't have enough money, but we're paying exorbitant fees to CEOs. That doesn't fit together. So you mentioned one potential uh, solution to this. To the extent that America does have these outsized uh CEO and executive pay, what are things other countries do? What are things that you have seen or other options that we might have to curtail that maybe in favor of having a more fair climate as worker wages stagnate? You know, um, it's interesting that the, this came up in the last segment that you did. Um, uh, one thing that other countries do that's relevant here is they provide um, for everyone what uh the employers have to provide in the United States, so uh, health care and, and the like. Uh, if it's provided nationally, um, then the, the costs are distributed and aren't, don't need to be borne by individual employers. And that, that actually puts the U.S. at a, at a competitive disadvantage vis-a-vis -vis other countries uh, when employers have to bear uh, costs that um, uh, are borne publicly in other countries. I, I, I'm under no illusion that that's going to happen here anytime soon, but it, it, it ought to be part of the thinking and the conversation uh, about it. Um, 
So, yeah, I'd I'd point to that. Yeah. You know who else would be part of the conversation? Judy in Detroit. That's why you're on Detroit today, Judy. Go ahead. Hi, I'm a retired Ford worker, and I've been living in Detroit 46 years. And basically, who's going to buy stuff if nobody makes any money? And that's, that's the primary comment, which is who all businesses should want these people to pay more money so that you know, people can actually buy stuff from their business. The other thing is the 32-hour work week demand at no loss in pay, that would actually increase number of employees, and then they would have enough wherewithal to buy a house, to buy a couch, maybe yeah. a car. Yeah, the antithesis of trickle-down economics, it's wages going up, more people with more money allows for more economic activity. What's your response, Ben? That, that, that comment is act, absolutely grounded in U.S. history and uh, particularly in the history of Ford <laughs> with the, uh, when, when Ford started paying the f- $5 day famously uh, so that Ford workers could a- afford to buy Ford cars. Uh, that was a big part of the way that we got ourselves out of the Depression in the 30s um, and, and is, is you know, sound uh, today as, uh, uh, as a way of thinking about these strikes. Um, uh, so yeah. All right. Very good. Moving now to John from the East side, John, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. So, you know, we've heard a lot about a a lot of things about the, the big three, uh, and I'm a, I'm a labor union myself. Uh, so here over on the East side, Tracer has a huge presence everywhere you look, there's parking lots filled with vehicles. We we certainly have a problem with the paint plant at the at the new Jefferson North, uh, polluting our neighborhood. And so when you look at the uh, all the costs, and you say, well, we don't want them running off to to other countries and down south and what have you. But do we really want these polluting corporations in our backyard? And what what exactly is the benefit of us Detroit residents, especially on the east side? from breathing in all this pollution and having all this blight. Just drive through the east side, drive over Mack Avenue and Connor, and just look at the industry over here. And and how is that benefiting us by keeping that here? How many Detroiters actually work there? And what are the tax benefits from the corporations uh, for us to breathe all this polluted air? You know, John, I'm so glad you brought that point up because it is something that was sold as a reason for not, you know, it's easy to say we want manufacturing here. But when it's in your backyard, you got to breathe all that in. Is it so easy? Are you bearing too much of the brunt of this pollution, this externality uh, when others aren't? Um, It it is an excellent point. Where is that balance? Go ahead, uh, Professor Sachs, if you have a response. Yeah, I mean, it's it's another important, very important part of the conversation. And I think it points us towards uh, the need to transition to uh, clean manufacturing and and green jobs. And, um, you know, I think uh, uh, what we what we need to uh, ensure is uh, that that manufacturing jobs, like all jobs in the country, are are good paying union jobs. Uh, that uh, comply with environmental standards, and we need to up the environmental standards as we go. That's a tall order, uh, and there's no question uh, but that certain communities are bearing the brunt of uh, of 
pollution and um you know the, it's that's the challenge for the environmental justice movement absolutely very much appreciate that point again john from the east side as we move to brian and sylvan lake brian go ahead you're on detroit today yeah hi i was just wondering what the professor could add in terms of you know we're talking about ceo pay and that gets a lot of headlines but at the same time you know the automakers have been uh paying dividends and making you know ridiculous uh uh, stock buyback uh, investments, uh, that money comes, you know, directly out of profits. Um, there's no reason the automakers couldn't retain those earnings and reinvest them uh, and, yep. um, you know, have all the free capital they want. This is They don't need loans. They wouldn't need to pay any interest. Um, that capital should be first reinvested in the business if the business needs to do that. Uh, as opposed to trying to stiff the workers. If you um, need to transition and ramp up to getting these EVs on the road, you need all money on hand, what is up with stock buybacks? I hear you, Brian, and Sylvan Lake. Go ahead with your point there, uh, your response, Ben. Yeah, so um, I, 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 I agree with the with the caller. Um, it's 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 goes into the general uh, idea that uh, the companies um, don't have uh, much of a point here when when they argue that the reason they can't meet the UAW demands is that they need um, uh, they need uh, capital to invest in the transition to EV. Um, they they've made decisions and they're continuing to make decisions that um, that uh, undermine that argument and and the stock buybacks uh, are are part of the yeah. part of the problem uh, for for sure. Ben, when I look to a country like Germany, and thanks again, Brian and Sylvan Lake, for that point, when I look to other countries, maybe in Europe, there are members of the working class, the union, they share positions on the board. Do we have any uh, idea of what effect that might have, not only to worker pay, but also the competitiveness of the business generally? Have you had any insight into that? Yeah, you know, um, the United States has a very unusual system of unionization and collective bargaining. Um, it, it's different than Germany and in a lot of ways, different than most European countries and, and countries around the world, to be honest. Uh, the German uh, model involves uh, what's sometimes referred to as three stools uh, or three-legged stool. So you have uh, works councils uh, at the inside the firms, inside the plants, as it were, uh, you have unions who do collective bargaining on a sectoral level, uh, and you have workers on corporate boards um, who participate in firm uh, decision making. Uh, all three of those things are important, and um, none of them work well uh, without the other three legs of the stool. Um, the German model gives workers uh, up to 50% uh, of the membership of a, of a corporate board. Uh, unfortunately, uh, management always has the tie-breaking vote uh, under the German system, and so there's some limitations as to what uh, what the what the system provides. Um, and you know, I would say um, giving workers one seat on a corporate board, um, you know, cannot can can risk being more symbolic than real. Mm. Uh, but uh, if you if you if you really gave workers uh, or unions uh, significant seats on a corporate board, then then you would see different decisions about CEO pay, yeah. about stock buybacks, about reinvestment, like the last caller uh, was alluding to. Yeah. Um, but I, I I don't see I don't see um, 
you know, a single seat on the corporate board as a panacea. Uh, there's not enough power there. Uh, but 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 the idea when when taken seriously can be really important. So many questions, so many things to get into and not enough time to get into them all. But Ben Sachs, I really appreciate your time here. Professor of Labor Industry at Harvard Law School, co-founder of the On Labor blog. For more information, check out the blog. You can find out what Ben Sachs has to say. Ben, thanks again for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and me, Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Podcast editing by David Lyons. And our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET in Detroit. You can support the show by leaving a rating or a comment. Thanks for listening.